Today, I am really pleased to have with me Stu J. Ray, who is a person that uh, in the polyglottosphere, somebody that I've been following for it must be, it's certainly more than 10 years. I don't know how many years. And I've seen him and he excels in languages that I don't know anything about, like Southeast Asian languages, South Asian languages. So without further ado, Stu, can you tell us a little about what you do, where you live, and uh, what your various uh, you know activities are on the internet. So thank you, Steve. It's an honor to um, to be here with you, and a long time coming. Uh, first of all, my name so Stu J Raj. That's the Indian oh, part. Raj. Of my, Raj. Okay, I'm yes. Sorry. Um, but that, 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 that's cool. You can call me what you want. Um, I most people in this part of the world know me as my middle name J. It's uh, a lot easier uh-huh. in Thai, and it actually flows well in Thai. The other thing is Stuart. Sounds like Satyawat Katyawat, which sounds like cockroach, which is also a pimp in Thai. So my name in this part of the world, everyone knows me as Jay, everyone else Stu, and very few as Raj. And my Chinese name, Wang Huai Le. So okay. depends what you want to call. So um, yeah, right. I've been here in, uh, my base is Thailand here for over 20 years now. Uh, before that, Indonesia, originally from Australia. Uh, I grew up speaking a bunch of languages. My grandfather was a polyglot. He spoke my, so my white grandfather on my mum's side, um, he spoke Chinese, Japanese, Hebrew, Russian, French, Italian, Latin, and a bunch of other languages. And so as a kid, mm-hmm. we grew up playing with language and sound and Morse code and listening to shortwave radios. And it just grew from there. And so... As I grew up, I also had a surrogate family was Indonesian. So I grew up speaking Indonesian and then Chinese. They were Chinese Indonesians. So from my grandfather, both Chinese and then the um, Indonesian side, they also speak Chinese. And it grew out. Our base language at home here is Thai. Um, And then around in my work, basically, I work with companies uh, around the world, governments in aerospace, oil and gas, modern trade, a bunch of different industries where language is just a tool to get other things done. So it's building communication right. channels, making deals. And for me, language is um, a thing that gives me an edge, especially in this region. And with this looking face, um, you're able to speak with Western clients as one of them but then also speak with people on the ground and get them to open up as one of them. And so that's where that's where I'm from. I guess the languages that I use the most are Thai, Indonesian, Mandarin, actually surprisingly Danish, um, Spanish, mm-hmm. um, and then other languages from around the region. Yeah, I thought Danish was an Asian language, actually. Yeah, actually it is. You'd be surprised how many Scandinavians <laughs> Just to are listen here. to it. No, just to listen to it. Yeah, we tell him a stupid What? So, and you, do you have like a YouTube channel or a blog or anything of that nature? Yes. So, actually, if you go to um, s- s- anything Stu J, so Mindcraft, right. so my blog, if you do a YouTube search on Stu J, Stu J, so Stu J, you find me. Um, otherwise, go to Mindcraft. That's with a K, so M I N D K R A F T dot me, mm-hmm. and I've been migrating everything into that because this is the latest project that I've done um, from this year, which will hopefully keep growing out. Which is consolidating everything from language, from tech, and just the brain and learning, 
And we have a huge community there. So Minecraft.me is like the portal into that. Jcademy is my learning um, platform, J-C-A-D-E-M-Y.com. Um, but they, mm-hmm. the, they sort of host the content of Minecraft and other stuff. And then we have a great Discord mm-hmm. server. But it's all, my, Minecraft.me would be a first port of call. Hmm. So we'll leave that information with links in the description box. Now, first question is, which languages, in fact, do you speak? Um, as, as you know, there's a big gradient. The languages that I speak regularly and that I... Uh, let, let's start with the languages that I facilitate training and do work in and do business in regularly. Uh, Indonesian, Malay, of course, Thai, Lao, and, and anything, I guess, from these Thai gradient of languages. Um, Chinese, so Mandarin, uh, Cantonese. Uh, to When I'm in Hong Kong, I'll use Cantonese uh, quite a bit, but my Mandarin is much more strong, stronger than mm-hmm. my Cantonese. Um, then we go down to like Vietnamese, Burmese. We're talking about this part of the world, Vietnamese, Burmese. I will use them um, when I need to go down and speak to people and get things done. However, say my Vietnamese and Burmese wouldn't be at the level where I'd facilitate full classes yet, um, mm-hmm. possibly soon, but not yet. Um, then I also actually use Spanish a lot. I, during my um, university years, uh, I shifted my Italian, which my grandfather used to speak with me, to, into Spanish. And um, mm-hmm. I, I also play jazz. So I played with a bunch of Latino musicians as well for many years in university and dated a Chilean woman for four years. So that got my Spanish up to par. Um Danish, of course, and and Swedish and Norwegian. I'll put those in there when I'm in Sweden and Norway. Why the Scandinavian language? At school, there was surprisingly a big community of exchange students, both of my friends who would go and live in Scandinavian countries and Scandinavian students that came and um, went to our school. And so there were a bunch of us that just spoke Scandinavian languages together. And and so I got the bug. And so as a young kid, I actually then took it off my bat to go in. And I think I've told this story in other places, but basically I looked up Scandinavian surnames in the uh, then white pages and yellow pages for Scandinavian restaurants. I tracked out where in Sydney they were and I went door knocking and I found a Scandinavian community and it just happened that Danish was the predominant one there where mm. I found and I really just immersed myself in Danish and ended up in book clubs and everything as a young kid um, to the point that I actually got quite fluent back then uh, into my teenagerdom with Danish. You know, if anybody wants to get a Danish experience, they should look up uh, the Seaside Hotel in Netflix. Oh, really? It's a series. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. All in Danish. It's a lot, it's a lot, very, lot of fun. Just a lot of fun. The Seaside Hotel. I think I put a clip out. Or the Beach Hotel. I can't remember what it's called, but something like that. I think I put a clip out recently where I spoke Danish. But if I were to do it all again, knowing what I know now and having traveled through also Norway and Sweden, I think I would have learned Norwegian first um, because Danish has had a long lasting impression on my throat, which is really hard to kick when you're speaking Swedish and Norwegian. Okay. Interesting. So... If one question comes to mind, like people have stereotypes, uh, you know, the, it's not unusual to see an Asian looking person speak uh, Aussie English with an Aussie accent or, uh, you know, American English or even Scottish or whatever, you know, that's just a given. 
But when you see someone who doesn't look Thai or Laotian or, uh, you know, Vietnamese, even Chinese, like, what do you think is more difficult for, a, a, say, a European language native speaker to learn those languages that seem exotic to us? Or is it easier for those people to learn what is probably to them a more exotic language, English or French or Spanish? Um, Which way is it easier? I, I think it's expected in the West that anyone going there will learn the language if they're living in the country. Mm -hmm. Over here, you get... Right. What's called these expat bubbles, I guess, and which you know, what's the difference between expat and an immigrant? Um, but these mm -hmm. expat bubbles, where people live 20, 30 years without having to speak uh, a word of the local language, so this becomes a norm. Right. Um, what I have found, however, and since day one, because I knew a lot of languages that feed into Thai as well as like mm -hmm. old Chinese, middle Chinese, and then um, from my dad's side, so Hindi and Sanskrit and, and other Indic languages, Thai was actually quite easy um, mm -hmm. to, to get up to speed. I could you know, write it in an afternoon from my understanding of Devnagari um, and Sanskrit. And so within months, I was up speaking Thai. And the thing that I find is it's not difficult, but you just have to get beyond that, but it's understanding the system. Um, and it mm -hmm. is that system that's based on, and even Chinese is based on it. I don't know if you've ever looked at their Cheyun system in Chinese, but this is also based on no. the map of the human mouth, which is the Devanagari or Sanskrit uh, Brahmic um, map. And so everything from tones, your ping, uh, shang, chu, ru tones in Mandarin, a parallel mm -hmm. one to one in these boxes that you have Thai tones and Vietnamese and anything. Um, is actually based on this map, which is traced back to Sanskrit. Believe it or not, mm. even the Korean writing is based on this same format from Sanskrit. So having that, it's not a hard jump. But if you're going into Thai, say, as your first Asian language and not having that background, it is like, what the heck is this? Because most native speakers of Thai don't actually understand the system because they're native speakers. Nobody ever taught them. Right. And even in the schools. And so the way they learn is by rote and just by memorizing rules that seemingly don't make sense. So that is a huge challenge. But actually, Thai is not a difficult language to, to learn and to develop prosody in. And this is the key, I think, is developing this prosody. And prosody always trumps what you look like on the outside. If I go into mm -hmm. a 7-Eleven and I can yep. speak in a way that feels natural... Um, mm -hmm. they'll instantly just speak to me normally. And there are right. some tricks that you can throw some cues in um, that mm -hmm. will, uh, for example, if you go in, um, you don't need to put that in a plastic bag. And the way that right. you, I say that is a colloquial way that anyone else would say it. And they might even be looking at your face and then the whole interaction will just be in Thai and go without any surprise at all. Why, there, there is a tendency for them to speak to you in English just as soon as they look at you? Yeah, so this gets back to your, then your question. The big challenge is, and most people say, oh, they just won't speak Thai to me. Um, or right. they just won't speak Chinese to me. Maybe you've had that where people right. will just speak English to you. Um, yeah. And so that is one of the biggest challenges. I've, I found that to be a, a function of how well you speak the language. I, I never get that in Chinese. I never get it in Japanese. I shouldn't say never, but very rarely. Yep, I agree. Um, you know, if the person assumes that you speak their language better than they speak your language, they'll happily, most people are happy to use the language that makes the most sense. 
Uh, let me ask you a question. What advice now? So a lot of those languages are tonal. Yep. Uh, so someone who wants to learn a tonal language, whether it be Mandarin or Cantonese or, uh, you know, Thai or whatever, uh, Burmese is tonal as well, yes. isn't it? Yeah. So, and, and presumably they're not going to learn the Sanskrit uh, rules or whatever it was. Uh, what sort of general bits of advice do you have for people? Okay. So presumably you just said they're not going to learn the Sanskrit rules. Um, mm -hmm. I've, that's why I've set Minecraft up. Actually, you're insane not to learn the Sanskrit rules. Okay. Um, because, and this is the other thing, tones. In English, we think of tones. The word tone has a connotation with pitch. Tones right. are not pitch. And I'll say that again. Tones are not pitch. Tones are throat positions. And the mm. pitch is a byproduct of the throat. So you and you get these people learning tonal languages and they'll even get these graphs and try and plot the frequencies of their, their actual pitch to match native speakers and they still get the tone wrong. They still get the confused looks on the face. And it's especially apparent in Vietnamese because tones are right. a whole bunch of different things that are going on in the throat which are actually traced back to that Sanskrit map. It's not a difficult mm. map. You've got... But was Sanskrit a tonal language? Um, no, it's, it, it wasn't. Well, you, you actually had pitches, so similar to pitch ac accent. However, the, the, it's, this is the whole thing, because tones are not pitches. In English, we use this stupid word tone, which forces everybody to focus on something to do with pitch. And it's not. You focus on the throat. And so if I say, mm -hmm. like, I've got normal voice, ma. Ma, you see the voice is just ma, and it glides off. And then I've got stiff mm -hmm. voice, ma, my voice cuts it. And then I've got creaky voice, ma, where it ratchets down at the end. They are the mm -hmm. only three tones originally in any tonal language, whether it's Burmese, whether it's Chinese, whether it's Vietnamese, whether it's Thai, T-A-I languages. And then mm -hmm. you've got registers. So you've got breathy voice, so aspirate, so ka, You've got um, voices that where the glottis is closed in the beginning, ga, and then you've got voiced, ga. And so between these three and then those um, different, um, what, what, I, what I just mentioned then about the, the stiff voice, normal voice, and the creaky voice, that makes a matrix of nine. And then you have, um, whether it's dead at the end, so ma versus ma, that T, K, P at the end will kill it. And so you've got short and long vowels then with those. And so you have a three by five grid. And this three by five mm -hmm. grid maps to every single tonal language in the region. Vietnamese, mm -hmm. Chinese, Cantonese, Hokkien, um, Thai, every Thai dialect. These are called Gedney boxes. Google Gedney boxes, G-E-D-N-E-Y. And so mm -hmm. these Gedney boxes are based on what's going on in the mouth. And the pitch then is just a byproduct but you don't have to get the actual pitch contours exact because actually the pitches change depending what's around them. But mm -hmm. getting the throat right, so you would know in Chinese, if you've got two number three tones, say the, so, hen hao, hen hao. Mm -hmm. so number three tone is learnt as hao by learners of, of Chinese. And so they will try and pronounce that hao perfectly every time they see a number three tone, but it's not. Hen hao. So the the, hun, the 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 throat is actually closing up and pulling it up, which is where the mm. rising tone originally came from. The shang was the throat closing with a glottal stop at the end. 
And how mm-hmm. is because you're getting this glottal stop not having to finish all the way because it's at that bottom arc of the third tone. And so Chinese learners will go in and learn all of these rules, how these all clip together. But if you just memorize this grid and memorize and get the throat actions correct, you'll find mm-hmm. that all of this tone sandy and all of these rules based around tones actually just come out in the wash and you'll sound very natural. And so this is what I, I do. I actually teach people, whether they're learning Sanskrit or not, how to actually read the map. Because And, and then if you read Chinese, you'll understand the Cheyun system, which is based on the Sanskrit system. The Gedney boxes are based on the Sanskrit system. And believe it or not, even um, non-tonal languages like Khmer. But Khmer changes the vowels based on these same categories. And so... If you looked at it then, well, it's only the pitch that's not being affected, but the vowel, just like it is in Vietnamese or Thai, um, affects the overall consonant with, with, the, with the initial consonant. So I would say don't focus too much on pitch. Focus on the mechanics of what's going on in your throat. Get that right. And then the tones will start to come out in the wash. Just get yourself exposed mm. to a lot of the natural language. Well, I, you know, uh, this is all new to me. I'll have to look it up. I know nothing about it. I tend to just listen and wing it. Well, you know, you know what else is cool? Like in my Minecraft class this past week, we're also looking at Russian and Scandinavian languages and the Medjuslovyansky. I'm just learning Russian now, but the Interslavic. But you will find that even the, and so there, for Russians listening to Sanskrit, Russian is almost just like listening to a dialect of Sanskrit. I can share some resources with you. And the spelling rules of Russian. So you've got your Myakishnak um, and your Tsvodishnak. So the, the hard marker and the soft, uh, the soft marker. They map mm-hmm. exactly to where these tones are and the first two rows of the Sanskrit graph. So you don't have to remember individual letters. All you have to remember is any sound that comes from the back of the throat or the palate in this Sanskrit map, um, you would never use a soft consonant with it. That will always come out as their native, their natural thing. And they map directly to this Sanskrit grid. So mm-hmm. learning a, this five by five grid, which is a map of the mouth, back of the throat, palate, top of the mouth, teeth, lips, going from back to front. And then you've got unvoiced, aspirated, voiced, voiced, aspirated, nasal. That's a five by five grid and it works across all tonal languages and believe it or not, even the spelling rules of Russian and other Slavic languages. Hmm. Wow. (laughs) Very interesting. Very interesting. And so, you know, I was in Vietnam briefly. I tried to learn a bit before I went, but didn't get me very far. Uh, had no no success with with Burmese, but I wasn't there very long either. Uh, I guess of tonal languages, I just speak Mandarin and Cantonese. And uh, I, you know, I found with the Mandarin, what helped me the most was listening to Xiangsheng, because the Xiangsheng performers exaggerate, and the whole thing about tones to me was getting into the sort of you talked about prosody or the, into the rhythm of of a phrase or a sentence. And if you can somehow pick up on that, then uh, your tones will fall into place. I don't know any of the rules, but I, I did certainly, Mandarin was the first tonal language I learned. So I tried to remember which word was which tone, which character was which tone. 
But when in, when I went into Cantonese, I didn't bother with that at all. I just I just listened to it. So, someone said that there's nine tones in can you know the theory the can like all Asian. No, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of people speakers of Asian languages like to and not just Asian languages. People like to pretend that their own language is the most difficult language in the world. So, and, and you know, Poles say their language is the most difficult. Like everybody believes their language is the most difficult. And, uh, and that Cantonese, oh, nine tones is so much more difficult than Mandarin. And then I read a book that said, actually with six tones, you're, you'll do just fine. And that is what persuaded me to learn Cantonese because that nine tones looked like too much work, but six tones is only two more than four. Okay, so, so this, yeah, is, this is other advice that you said, um, yeah. learning tonal languages. Yeah. Yep. Stop counting tones. Just like, okay. like yeah, stop I'll, counting I'll tones. They, there are the same amount of tones in every tonal right. language. There's not the same right. amount of and pitches. And non-tonal language. Yeah, no, 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 but, but yeah, I'm right. talking about tones. So yeah, there, yeah. Uh, but not pit, but the pitches might coincide. So in Cantonese, okay. whereas in, mm. in Mandarin, you've got ma, 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 ma. This ma right. number one tone is actually ping sheng. That's mm. so it's your ping, and ma mm. is also a uh, ping sheng. But you had yin and yang. That yin and yang was mm. what I just mentioned: the voiced and unvoiced. Mm. So so what Cantonese is closer to the old Chinese, where it just splits. So you've got two registers. Originally, you had a mm -hmm. high register and a low register. So you've got ma ma ma, and then you've got. Ma, ma, ma. So you've just got a high no. register and a low register and then ma, ma, ma. And, and the, those other three ones, so six to nine, is basically, they are different tones if you're counting actual tone categories, but what it means is that they're dead. So, or they're, they're stopped at the end. So ma and ma would be counted as two different tones, traditionally, if you're counting oh, actual tones. If I say something in Cantonese, and my wife is a native speaker of Cantonese, yep. Uh, if I say something in context, it comes out not too bad. Yeah. If I say two words, I get them all wrong, and she laughs at me. So, so as long as I can get them, they uh, say whatever. Then okay, that's okay. But if I had to hit, you know, hey, what, hey, hey, I don't know. I have a clue. Hey, but yeah. if, but if I get it in a sentence. It all hangs together, and even if it's off a little bit, it's part of that larger whole. Yeah, and so the tones come off okay. So people think, oh, gee, uh, you know, which isn't true. And I can be better sometimes than other times, but if you try to isolate them, I'll get it wrong. The, the, the thing is, too, and it, it's all what you're using the language for. There right. are num that languages say like Chinese too. If you go to China, it's just expected now that people speak Chinese. Even if you've got a foreign face, it's just expected. There are other countries right. where it's not expected, and there are other countries um, where there's very little leniency done for non-standard version of their language. Okay, right. So Vietnamese is an example of that. Thai is an mm -hmm. example of that. So even Thais, even if they speak their dialect from up northeast or the north or south or wherever, um, when they come to Bangkok, they will force themselves to speak central Thai. And if they mm -hmm. don't, there's almost shame to it. And so oh, yeah. I guess it's this nationalistic thing too, but everybody must speak this standard Thai. And so right. that rule is then also applied to foreigners. So if it's mm -hmm. just a little okay. bit off in Thailand, Thais will you not understand. Me off learning Thai now. 
Uh, it scared well, me off. Well, time now. But listen, you know what? I'm going to stop it there. I think it's been fascinating because I know so little about those languages and I certainly haven't gone at it in the sort of systematic way that you have. And I think many of my viewers will be very interested in following up, whether it be Minecraft or the other, uh, you know, links that we will leave in the description box. And I'm sure we could go on talking for a long time on this. It is quite interesting. I am going to look into it because it's, it's quite fascinating. And, and it's a big part of the world that we're talking, well, China, of course, 1.5 billion yeah. people, but Southeast Asia, Indonesia, South Asia, we're talking about half the world. Yeah. So uh, well worth uh, all of us learning more about. So thank you very much. It's been very interesting. Thank and I you, I am going to follow up. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Right. Thank you.